Makers of Sport Podcast, Episode 76, with Sloan Kelly. Welcome to episode 76 of the Makers of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. You may notice that a very rare halftime episode popped up in your podcatcher of choice this past week. Typically, those are for community members only, but I did feel the need to share with everyone about a socially conscious mission that we as a community are taking on called the High School Project, where we are selecting two underfunded public schools per year in a low-income rural or inner-city community and combining our breadth of talent to rebrand the athletic programs. So be sure to take a listen to that previous halftime episode, episode 75, to find out more on that initiative. And if you want to get involved, you can join the community at makersofsport.com community, where you will also receive future halftime episodes along with their subscriptions, access to live Q&As with future former and special guests, monthly Google Hangouts, and especially an invite to the Slack channel where there are currently representatives from multiple NFL and college teams, as well as brands such as Adidas, New Balance, Sports Illustrated, and ESPN. Now on to today's business of the show. On the podcast today, I'm very happy to welcome Sloan Kelly. Sloan is a senior director of content for the PGA Tour's digital team. And prior to the PGA Tour, Sloan worked agency side as an interactive strategy director focusing on social media and digital strategies for brands such as Coca-Cola, Mellow Yellow, Harry Potter, Buffalo Wild Wings, Dell, Business Week, and many more. She also founded the Geek End Interactive Conference in Savannah, Georgia, which is an annual digital conference featuring digital talent and design, content strategy, web, and mobile disciplines, as well as being a 501c3 nonprofit that supports and funds programs for underprivileged students with an interest in technology. Sloan's work has won numerous awards, and she regularly speaks on the topic of social media, digital strategy, and emerging technologies. And actually, she recently just spoke at SX Sports about the PGA Tour utilizing virtual reality, which we will definitely get into a bit later into this episode. Welcome to the show, Sloan. I appreciate you taking the time during the super busy golf season to come aboard. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's great to join. So I gave a bit of a bird's eye view on your career during the introduction on the podcast, but I like to give guests an opportunity to go a little bit more in depth on their story for listeners that may not be familiar with them. So can you sort of give us a rundown of your history, kind of how you got into the industry, the specific vertical, even in the vertical of sports leading up to working for the PGA? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think for me, the kind of what gets me out of bed every day is really uh, I'm I'm a storyteller, and that's that's my my passion is finding uh, interesting ways to bring different stories to life. 
And I've um, fortunately had the the privilege of of doing that with a lot of different brands over the course of my career. I, I started out, um, you know, more kind of in front of the camera, if you will, and eventually went uh, back to school at uh, NYU's School of Journalism to to kind of hone my my chops and uh, be able to to produce and edit and and do all the actual technical uh, work and and production and that. Uh, ended up leading me to the uh, agency side. Uh, I, I didn't go the the more traditional route out of journalism school and working with a publication, which uh, is what a, a lot of my classmates did, and, and they've had phenomenal careers as well. But um, I ended up going a slightly different route and and getting into this world of uh, you know brand content and how to kind of bring stories to life around passion points with with different brands. And uh, that that was it's been an exciting adventure. I have always been a huge, huge sports fan, and always uh, wanted to work in sports. I I never really had a quite uh, super clearly defined path and and how I would get there. And then uh, one day, I I got a, a message from a recruiter that was working with the PGA Tour. And uh, the more I learned from her about the role and about the PJ Tour, I was absolutely intrigued and really excited. And especially as I started talking to the different folks uh, around the tour that that are now my my coworkers, um, I, I was just absolutely blown away by some of the things that that they were trying to achieve. They had just brought their digital business. Uh, in-house. Uh, prior to that, there had been relationships with Turner and uh, much earlier before that with CBS um, in terms of uh, you know running a website and, and mobile apps and all that good stuff. And uh, that really created, I think, a key moment for the tour where it's you know kind of a, all right, you can control your own destiny now. And it's not to say the, the previous partners had done anything wrong, but it's just um, a moment where for, for good or for bad, that future is is in your hands. And uh, as a league, I think at a point where we're really looking to find different ways to reach audience, uh, both domestically and abroad, it's such an important piece of what we're doing. And for me, that's been uh, a, a really exciting adventure since I started uh, with them about two and a half years ago. So uh, it's you know, it's it's been a great ride, and and for me, again, it comes back to storytelling and, and interesting technology, uh, and and now being able to do that focused on one brand every day is is a, a real uh, treat. Very cool, very cool. So let's kind of backtrack a little bit because I think that I actually followed you on Twitter. We've been following each other for a while, and yeah, and I was kind of doing social media club. Lexington stuff. I was when social media first came out. I got really kind of engaged in that world. But I was always a designer at heart. That's what I am. But I, I really love this idea of storytelling. And in 2006, you moved from NYC to the Deep South to work for an agency <laughs> called BFG Communications, yes. which focuses on the food and beverage industry, to my understanding. And you spent nearly seven years there. Began as a content director, moved up through a couple different positions to interactive strategy director. Now, what's interesting about this, I think, is in 2006, there's there's been a serious. You were there for you know, as I mentioned, roughly seven years. There was a serious period of growth in terms of what digital media was, what social media was, and it changed tremendously. So I'm curious, how much did the industry itself affect your role in those early days? And then maybe can you tell us a little bit about what sort of legacy that you left on your work during that time period 
um, that you're very proud of that sort of stands out as a as maybe a pivotal moment or something that that you remember? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I. I loved working for BFG. Uh, it was uh, an amazing uh, point of my career, and uh, I loved every moment of being there. And it was uh, when I left to go to the PGA Tour. It was it was actually um, you know a difficult decision because I wasn't leaving because I was unhappy. It was just a moment to try something a bit different. But uh, when I came in um, to the role that I had there back in two thousand and six. Um, I joined a very small uh, digital group. Uh, there were it was a handful of people that were focused on digital, and uh, my boss at the time, David Byrne, um, you know, really smart guy, uh, great storyteller as well. He he taught me a lot about the uh, ad industry in general, and um, you know, certainly kind of helped I think in my progression at BFG as well. But we had one client. <laughs> And I remember, uh, the, I mean, the agency as a whole had many clients, but from a digital perspective, we had one client. And in my interview, I asked, uh, you know, the head of the agency what he saw in terms of the future, because I was concerned if I come in and there's one client and what happens if that client goes away? Do I lose my job? Am I in a, an unfamiliar location? What happens next? And... Um, you know, he he made it quite clear to me that they were hoping to grow uh, the business. Certainly, so I, I went in and I worked on that that one uh, client and did some really cool stuff. And certainly, from a storytelling perspective, uh, was able to get out. And we were doing a lot of cool things around um, music and arts and just kind of cool lifestyle oriented content. And that took me to a lot of different places. Uh, I have a passion for indie music and independent artists. So that was a, just personally a really fun project to get involved in. And then as, you know, kind of the evolution of back then, it was really blogs and MySpace. And then all of a sudden, Facebook started taking off with uh, brand pages and same with Twitter. And as, those, as that moment sort of uh, came together, that was a real passion area for me. And I started um, getting BFG uh, more active in those spaces just as an agency. And uh, from there, it, it led to us finally starting to land some new digital clients. And that propelled a whole uh, slew of new business. And it's really what got um, the agency's foot in the door at Coca-Cola, which is not an easy thing to do to become one of their official uh, you know, preferred agencies. Right. But, I mean, that's an iconic brand. Yeah, and you know that that's huge, and they have such um, you know an array of brands in their portfolio that um, you know we were able to do some work with uh, Coca Cola certainly, but also to start touching some of the other brands. And I was able to spend some time with um, they have an, kind of an incubator innovation group where you know brands like Honest Tea have uh, have come from and ultimately seen success, mm -hmm. or uh, Illy Isimo um, Coffee is one of the other brands I was able to work on in that group. And then there were some others that, that we worked on and did some really cool work, but the brands ultimately uh, didn't make it. But you learn a lot in those processes and that entrepreneurial spirit within that group, within this massive you know, world of Coca-Cola, it really, uh, it, it suited me. I come from a family of entrepreneurs and I think I have that kind of scrappiness built into me. Um, so that was amazing work. And then we started doing some work with Mellow Yellow that, uh, was really interesting, and it 
it really kind of, I think, bucked the trend of a lot of the stuff that we were seeing other brands complaining about as it related to Facebook. And, oh, you know, I can't get any any reach on Facebook unless I'm doing ad buys and uh, that kind of thing. And, and we were able to really craft this very fun and distinct voice uh, for that brand and had a lot of success with it. Um, so those those were amazing, amazing times. Um, the other thing I'll, I'll just mention quickly on, on BFG and kind of that time, um, we, we started doing something pretty interesting back then and uh, it, it involved uh, just kind of a business need. Our, our team was growing. I'm mentioning all these, all this new business that, that we were getting out there and winning. Obviously, you've got to have a team to support it. And it was um, a moment where I said, you know, can we recruit for these positions uh, differently than, than we have in the past? And we actually started recruiting via Twitter. You know um, what? I remember that. I think I remember <laughs> seeing you tweet about that or something. That's cool. Yeah, it was so interesting. And uh, I had a friend at the time who worked at Twitter, and I remember ha- telling him about what we were doing. And he was just like, you're doing what? You know, this is crazy. Um, but it was one of those those things that ended up working out so well. And the idea was simple. It was, you know, you've got 140 characters, and show us or tell us, you know, why we should hire you. And you've got to be creative. If, it, if you're just posting a link to your LinkedIn profile, that's probably not going to cut it. Um, but the, the point of it was, this is the kind of thing that we do every day on behalf of our clients. And you know, can you do it for yourself to show us who you are? And the folks that, that we found through that particular process um, were phenomenal hires. And I, I felt like I really... Um, got to know them in, in such a different way than, than you would by going through the traditional, you know, here's my resume, my cover letter, my portfolio type process. I really got to get a sense of how they think. And, yeah, uh, it's a lot more fun reading that stuff too than just the sort of cookie cutter objective. <laughs> right, of course. And I think for our applicants, even the ones who maybe didn't get hired, but we might have interviewed, I had people tell me this is, you know, this is the most fun I've ever had applying for a job. And, you know, for what that's worth, that that was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, it, it, you can tell how it would definitely build excitement on both ends. Um, I do want to talk about something else. You were mentioning, you come from a family of entrepreneurs and and you talked about how you sort of had this, had this scrappiness built into you. And something else that you did during your time down there in the Hilton Head, Savannah area is you founded Geek End, which is an annual interactive conference, which brought together hundreds in digital talent of multiple disciplines. But it also had an underlying philanthropic mission. Can you give us some insight into that conference, where the idea came from? And then also maybe touch on the idea of how of the reason to include a socially and culturally responsible mission. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the idea, um, it was really a few friends and I kind of sitting around a coffee shop in, in Savannah one day and saying, gosh, there's like so much happening. We feel like even in some of these smaller markets, uh, there's a ton of creative and, and digital talent and things that are going on. And maybe we put a spotlight on it and, you know, what will happen if we get, you know, at the time we were thinking very small, we're like, what if we get a few dozen kind of geeks in the same room together? Uh, what what might happen over the course of a weekend or a day? And that was kind of where the idea started. And from there, it, it grew into, all right, let's actually do this. And someone thought of a name kind of on the spot, Geek End, it sounded catchy. 
And we ended up um, pulling off our first geek end within, uh, I think, a little less than three months, which um, looking back on it seems absolutely crazy uh, to pull together (laughs) a conference in that amount of time. But we were just all like really into the idea. And as we started talking to different partners in the area, uh, they were equally excited. And uh, BFG as well, to their credit, uh, when they heard about the idea, they immediately wanted to to help, and um, you know they were a big part of uh, really the, what we ended up doing from everything, you know, and creating a really unique brand around Geek End, um, you know, to even some of the the programming ideas. So uh, we found a lot of support in the community, and uh, we were absolutely blown away <laughs> that November when uh, all of a sudden we had you know what we thought was going to be maybe less than 50 or less than 100 people. And all of a sudden, it's like five, six times that showing up. That's awesome. Um, So it was amazing. And um, coming out of that, we were like, okay, this is something. (laughs) We need to keep this going. And that's where we decided, all right, let's formally put together um, uh, a nonprofit and let's think about how we can really help the community And for me, I think moving down from the Northeast to the South, one of the things that I was maybe surprised about when I moved was really just kind of the way that public education works versus kind of, you know, how how I'd grown up and the things that I'd been around. Mm -hmm. And um, it it seemed like that might be a place to start. And is there a way to get uh, students or even their teachers um, interested in... Uh, careers that might take them down a technology or a creative path. How can we encourage that? And thinking way longer term about uh, the future of an area like Savannah or some of these smaller markets in the Southeast, what impact might that have uh, in the very long term on the types of jobs um, or or new ideas that we haven't even thought of that, that might come about so that's a very long, long-term uh, vision for it. And then, um, you know, just I guess a couple of other notes on Geek End. Um, Geek End is continuing on. Uh, I've I've since relocated from Savannah when I joined the PGA Tour. But another nonprofit group called the Creative Coast actually came in and uh, volunteered to take on. Uh, sort of the future of Geek End, and they've done a few conferences uh, since my departure, and it, it seems like it's uh, continuing on under very strong leadership. Very cool. Well, I have to say, I absolutely love these ideas where, and when we live in a time where we can essentially merge businesses with socially conscious missions. One of my favorite books is Start Something That Matters by Tom Shoes founder, Blake Mykoski. And for anyone that's listening that's not familiar with Tom Shoes, they essentially invented the one-for-one model where you they donate an item for an item purchase. So in their instance, you buy a pair of shoes, they donate a pair of shoes to a country that's in need. And another business like that would be Warby Parker, who in coincidence, I'm happy to be wearing one of their glasses right now, pairs of glasses right now, but they essentially donate a pair of glasses to people in need uh, upon purchases. And they, honestly, they've really shaken up the eyewear industry in regards to inflated pricing models and a bad customer experience. Um, but I'm curious for you, what, what do you think it is about, I'm, I'm totally, I'm making an assumption here based on your LinkedIn profile and where you, like when you graduate from school that you're a millennial, would that be right? 
That's correct. Okay. So <laughs> good guess. Yeah. What What do you think it is about millennials that sort of makes us passionate about merging businesses with social good? Because we're I'm essentially trying to do the same thing with this high school project that I mentioned at the beginning of the show. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. By the way, Thank uh, you. that's a, that's a fascinating question, and you know, I, I guess. Um, you know, I, I always hate to make generalizations about millennials because when I hear them, I'm always rolling my eyes. Yeah, it's but, the buzzword, um, right? <laughs> uh, you know, I think it, it is difficult because I do think about, uh, you know, I'm probably at the older end of the millennial generation and I have, you know, I have a cousin who's at the younger end. And I, th- I think we look at the world probably differently, even though we're same generation. Um, yeah, same here. I'm on the older end as well. Yeah, but there is something to that, and you know that idea of of good, and you know the way that that again to make more of a generalization, but the way that uh, millennials tend to sort of go about uh, work life and and passion points, I think it's just a bit different than maybe what where our parents were or our grandparents were. And, uh, you know, finding brands that sort of uh, you can identify with or ones that you would want to put out there and wear proudly that, hey, this is like my brand, it, it, it's, it's a big deal. And it's not, um, you know, there might be some facets of the millennial generation that are looking more at, oh, this is a high-end luxury brand I want to be associated with. But I think for me and certainly for others that maybe are, are more like me in the generation, it, it is those brands, like the ones that you just cited. I'm, I'm also wearing Warby Parker glasses, you know, <laughs> and it's, uh, it's a similar reason. Um, so, you know, it, it's, I think those, those sorts of brands that are maybe going against tradition, they're finding a better way of doing things and a way that uh, it's, it's not like it's always been done before. Um, I think that's a key part of it. And when it has that good attached to it, that's just baked into the business. It's not like an add on like, oh, we should do something to get a tax write off or something like that. Like it's, it's a core part of the identity of those brands. So it feels very authentic and and natural. Uh, Those are the the sorts of things that really resonate that authenticity, um, that, that sense of this is who we are and we're not doing it like, past generations is important, I think. Right. Now, were you able to sort of carry over some of that socially social consciousness over to where you are now at the PGA Tour? You know, it's actually a fantastic fit within the PGA Tour. Um, the PGA Tour, uh, a lot of people probably aren't aware. I don't know that it's always super obvious or super public, but uh, charity is completely baked into what the PGA Tour is about. And uh, in the time that, that I've been working there, um, they hit a key milestone, which it's actually bigger than this now, but $2 billion in charitable donations wow. over the course of the tour's history. So that, that's a really key part of the tour. But also, you know, if you look at even our players, um, they all have associations they work with, causes that they're passionate about, and it just sort of naturally goes with, uh, with the territory and um, it's one of those things where you don't want to kind of, I think, beat your chest too wildly saying, hey, look what we're doing. But mm-hmm. it, it is a, a big part of, of the tour and the tour's mission. So that's been a, a natural fit, I think, for me within that organization. That's awesome. What was it like for you to transition from agency side where, you're, where you get to work with all these different brands to in-house where essentially now you work on building one brand day in and day out? 
Yeah, you know, I, uh, I was a little bit worried about that when I took the job. Um, but I, I think uh, there's been a few things that have certainly worked uh, in my favor on that. One is it's amazing to be able to go in and dig in on, on one brand and go very deep um, and be able to spend all of your energy on it uh, versus kind of getting pulled in a lot of different directions. And the other thing, too, is that, you know, within the PJ Tour family, uh, we have, you know, other tours. We have global tours that are out there that we're trying to build um, between PJ Tour Champions, uh, Web.com Tour, and then our, our tours internationally in Latino America, Canada, and China. So those are, are also kind of provide some opportunities to think a little bit differently about the PJ Tour brand um, those kind of um, other tours and how we're perceived internationally. So there's been a lot of interesting business questions like that. Uh, and then working in digital, it's for me, it feels like every day is different, you know, because it's all this different technology, things that we're constantly experimenting with. Um, so certainly the, the prospect of ever getting bored in my job is uh, absolutely impossible. Right, that's awesome. I don't know if you heard that, but my dog like <laughs> just lost her mind because I've got a mailman out here blowing the horn like crazy. <laughs> oh wow, that's funny. I I can I have two two dogs, so I've been, I'm been hopeful that they're just sleeping while we're recording. I'm I'm gonna leave this in. This is this is part of the funny part about how these things go. Um, so you have been with the organization for nearly three years, and I think yes. mistakenly, uh, Missy, stop. I think mistakenly, most people don't necessarily think of golf as a sport that has much innovation. I think when you think about golf, people probably tend to think about country clubs with strict sets of rules, rich white dudes, barriers to entry, gatekeepers, and and maybe things like the Masters where cell phones and cameras aren't allowed and it's very hard to get in. And I'd imagine that with social media being a heavy part of your role, it's probably sometimes tough to bridge the live audience who can't necessarily engage with social and video as much with the audience at home who is tweeting and Facebooking about what's happening. Happening. Um, I think this is probably unique to your sport and probably presents some challenges. Can you discuss some of those and what you and your team are doing to try to bridge those two and overcome them? Yeah, definitely. I, and it's a great point on, uh, on the Masters. I think that's... Um, it's thankfully become uh, an anomaly, at least from my perspective, in terms of phone access on course. All of our, our PGA Tour events that, that we uh, operate, you can have a phone on course. It needs to be on silent, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but even your ability to take photos and things like that on, on course has opened up in the time that, that I've been there, which is fantastic. And so now we're, we're living in an age where I'm just coming out of the Players' Championship last week and, you know, we did a Snapchat official live story on uh, Friday of, of the tournament. So we were actually encouraging people to, you know, take out their phones and, and snap from the course and, and Snapchat was in turn curating all of this amazing content from fans that were out there and it really presents this very unique glimpse into what a tournament looks like and how much fun it can be. And I think when people start seeing that kind of stuff, they realize that maybe golf isn't what they thought it was. Uh, maybe these tournaments aren't this stodgy idea that, you know, that they have uh, in, in their head. Um, 
And that's certainly Snapchat is probably a maybe a younger um, demographic than than people would also associate with with golf. But for us, that's where we've definitely got to be innovating and and experimenting. Um, and and it's it's key. And I, I that's a thing that we come up against all the time. Even uh, I think a lot of our partners were still trying to educate them on who our audience is because it varies drastically between the platform we're talking about. If I'm talking about our television audience, it's going to be much older than if I'm talking about our audience on Facebook or uh, even our website, for that matter. Um, so it's one of those things we've. Uh, I'm I'm always kind of pushing on it while I'm in meetings that we've got to be specific about um, the the platform and and the audience because they they do vary greatly. Um, but for us, it's got to be about innovation across the board. We you know. If you're the NFL, and the NFL certainly does great and innovative stuff, but they're going to have an audience, frankly, no matter what they do, right? Right. Um, but but for the tour, we've we've got to make sure that we're really doing everything we can to meet our fans on the platforms where they are, uh, and and bring them some amazing stuff. Well, and I think uh, one thing that golf does, as far as bringing amazing stuff, that's synonymous with other sports, are these unbelievable sort of live unfolding storyline, specific, uh, especially things like Sunday at the Masters where like, this year, good guy Jordan Spieth just sort of came unraveled making way for Danny Willett to win who all, almost didn't play due to the birth of his baby. So that's a great story there. <laughs> then you have the Players' Championship where Jason Day dominated in a, almost a Tiger-like performance or even the Wells Fargo Championship where a former shoe salesman like James Hahn can come in after four consecutive miscuts to sort of win the tournament. Um I'm curious, you mentioned a little bit how Snapchat, you're sort of leveraging, telling these stories from a fan perspective, but how are you guys tell, uh, leveraging these stories to get those out to the fans that maybe aren't privy to the game or even the loyal ones? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I, I have uh, fortunately an amazing team of content creators that that I work with and uh, many of them are out on site week to week. Uh, others are obviously in the office, but it's a truly creative and collaborative group. And we are constantly coming up with uh, new ideas. Some of them could be a little bit wacky, but that's what we're meant to do. And the team is really functioning, and this is maybe going back to my background on the agency side, the team is functioning much more like a creative team within an agency. Uh, even the space that we're working in looks like that, and it, it doesn't look like what you might expect um, from a, a golf organization, which which is great. But, um, you know, week to week, uh, these folks are coming up with amazing stuff, and the the key kind of piece, I think, to, you know, to what we're doing, we really started this discipline probably about a year ago, is a huge focus on analytics. So as we're coming up with these ideas and putting something out on Twitter or Facebook or our website, wherever it might be, uh, we've got folks that are constantly looking at how things are performing and really helping us to adjust and tweak things uh, to figure out how we can really deliver our content best to our audience. Uh, or if we're finding out something is just completely not working, we're, you know, we're going to stop doing that or, or what have you. But this focus on really paying attention to what our fans are hungry for and helping using uh, metrics to help us do that has, has been really key. Uh, and there's a lot of great examples of, of that kind of... Um, 
storytelling and, and testing that's going on. Uh, we did a ton of stuff with Facebook Live uh, last week during the players, and that really provides kind of uh, two things. One is uh, direct access to a player where fans can chime in with questions and, and get to um, hear responses live. And the other thing is more kind of behind the scenes access. So we, um, we did a, a, a Facebook Live broadcast from the 17th hole as our rules officials last Friday were going out and actually figuring out hole placement and that sort of stuff, which sounds super nerdy, but it is so fascinating to see how these guys make these decisions and what goes into moving a hole if they need to or cutting something different. It's really interesting. And that was, I think, one of our, our top viewed Facebook Live broadcasts last week. That's awesome. I've I've always wondered about that too. I mean, there's like these little nuances in the game, and even just like taking care of of the course and the sort of the beautification of how these things are presented as a physical experience. It's that's awesome that you guys did that. I'm gonna have to go back and look at that and and put a link in the show notes. I do think that most people would probably be surprised to find out that the PGA Tour was the first league professional sports league uh, to have a virtual reality app and also one of the first responsive websites in sports. And you spearheaded these efforts. So can you, how are these received from maybe the fan base, the players even, and then maybe the executives at the PGA Tour? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the the responsive website was uh, one of my first projects when I was getting started at the tour. They were just beginning um sort of the creative overhaul of the website. They had already done a back-end overhaul uh, the year prior when they brought the business in-house from, from Turner. And uh, going responsive uh, was a big deal at the time. Um, and, you know, there weren't a ton of... I mean, now everyone's doing this kind of thing, but we were really kind of ahead of the game. And uh, my boss was always using the analogy that, you know, we're basically, we're skating to where the puck is going and not where it is right now. Right. And that, that was a key, I think, analogy for, um, certainly for a lot of our executives, but also as our players, because as... The PGA Tour is unique in that we're the league and the players association. So we definitely want to make sure that we're serving our, our body of players very well and obviously helping to educate them on something as important as a website. Um, but when we made the, the change, um, you know, it's a very visual site. That was a big departure. It was very text heavy before that. Um, some parts of the site, it was just so outdated. It was, you know, it hadn't had a, a fresh look, I think, in something like six or more years, which is an eternity in web time. So when, when we made the change, we had uh, definitely a large outpouring from fans. Um, you know, and there was a lot of complaints. Um, and a lot of that is it's just change and it's, mm -hmm. it's often tough for, uh, to have, you know, change in the works. Um, and, and frankly, kind of going back to that uh, discussion on our demographics I was mentioning earlier, we do have, you know, an older fan base that, um, that we cater to and they're part of our core and uh, they use our, our website religiously. And I was getting direct phone calls on occasion oh, from, wow. from folks. And I felt like I was, you know, tech support because they had an outdated, <laughs> you know, IE browser. And I was trying to walk them <laughs> old stuff. And I was trying to help them, you know, uh, update their, their browser. Um, 
And I, you know, I'm happy to do that. I, I believe we're certainly here to serve our players, but more importantly, uh, we're here to serve our fans. So um, I was very happy to take those phone calls when, when they came in. Um, but it, you know, that, that was a, a pretty pivotal moment. And then eventually things quieted down as people got used to the change, but we've been continuing to innovate on the site. And, um, you know, particularly as there's been a lot of changes, I think, in how people are using different websites, uh, we've also been adjusting. You know, the homepage is not the main door into our website. And while we want the homepage to always look fantastic and have great stuff on it for the folks that come in there, I'm always trying to think about all the side doors and how we can really kind of uh, lead people down a path of further discovery. So, whether they're coming in to look at the leaderboard or a specific story or video, you know, what else can we really serve them to, to help them out? And um, that, that's a, a key um, challenge that we're continuing to iterate on, but uh, it's an exciting one. Right. And then on the VR front, uh, that has been, for me as you know, a storyteller, has been such an exciting adventure. And when I started uh, playing with the Oculus headset probably a year and a half ago or so, I was just completely blown away <laughs> and came back from a meeting that I'd had at Facebook and started driving everybody at the tour crazy because I just wouldn't shut up about VR and all this stuff that we needed to do. And then I ended up at South by Southwest, um, uh, this is 2015, and spent some time with um, TJ Wan from the Oculus team. And we started figuring out, like, you know, what can we do from a content perspective? What would make sense for golf? And that ultimately led to some testing last summer out at the Stonebreak Classic, which is on our web.com tour. And we often will do some tests um, on other tours like that just to get a a sense of how things might or might not work. And the test delivered some really interesting results for us that uh, ultimately led to the creation of our, our app for the Oculus platform, which launched in February, and uh, all the, the content that we've been creating around it. Um, and that content we're, we're uh, producing certainly for 360 platforms on Facebook and YouTube as well, where we're getting a more mass audience, if you will, and then that more early adopter audience on on Oculus. But the the fan feedback so far has been extremely positive. The players that we've worked with uh, or shown this content to have been really excited. And uh, for a number of them that are passionate around new technology, this is you know something really cool for them to get involved in with us. That's awesome. Now you did mention South by Southwest, and we actually met there in person for the first time. And you, you did a, a panel with TJ Wan, who you mentioned from Oculus VR business development team called Dude, Where's My Par? Making Virtual <laughs> Reality in Golf. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I think you said Obama mentioned this in his talk. <laughs> he did. <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, Obama was uh, you know, giving his, his um, keynote and they announced it like the week of the conference. And I, I was hoping I might get to go see him. And then I realized our sessions were at the same time. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and he actually gave a nod to our session. And I was like, oh, he knows that we're at the same time too. This is so cool. That's awesome. I mean, that you're on his radar. That's like huge, yeah. <laughs> he said it was helping to keep Austin weird. So uh, I'll, I'll take that as a, a compliment. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Well, um, I'm curious... Uh, you mentioned how, I mean, it's constantly a learning experience and how you can integrate VR from a user experience perspective. 
What what are your thoughts on when will we see VR becoming uh, synonymous with say iPads and mobile phones uh, attracting a wider audience of users where it's just in everybody's house? Yeah, you know, part of it really comes down to the ease of access to the technology, um, and I think what we're seeing with with Samsung in particular when you're going to buy the S7 phone and you see, oh wow, I can get this headset you know, for an extra hundred bucks or whatever it is, or there's been some, some deals that might even make it uh, more attractive than that, it becomes something that's suddenly on your average uh, consumer's radar, which is awesome. And last week, even at Players' Championship, I was heading into work one day and I had my, my Oculus gear on me because we were shooting some stuff last week. And I was going through security and the security guard saw my bag and he was like, oh, cool, you have the, the Oculus headset. And I was like, yeah, you know, how do you know about it? And he's like, oh, I, I got one. You know, I have one at home. Oh, that's awesome. And so we, he, this random security guard that I've never met before, we ended up having this, you know, five minute discussion about uh, virtual reality, which was just so interesting to me that, you know, it's, this is not someone that I'm meeting at a, at, at a nerdy tech meeting. It's someone I'm meeting just in my day-to-day life. So that, that was encouraging. The other piece, which um, as this stuff starts unfolding, where the game consoles are also getting involved in the VR space, that's going to be, I think, really uh, critical to, to mainstream adoption as well. That's where you know, you're going to see this get into the living rooms of you know, households across the, this country and across the world. And people uh, might come in through the gaming window or through the entertainment window, but ultimately they're they're using the the technology at that point. Very cool. So there are a lot of designers that work in house at professional teams or collegiate athletic departments that listen to the show. the 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 show is really geared towards the intersection of sports and creativity, which obviously can be just about anything. But because I am a designer, I tend to have a big design audience. Uh, but there are some social media strategists that listen and some digital consultants. So I'm curious, is there any advice that you can give them when it comes to getting their feet wet in VR and integrating it into their own brand's stories? Yeah, you know, the name of the game these days is really experimentation. You know, no one uh, can really claim to be an expert in this space yet because it's so new and the technology is changing all the time. But, uh, I, you know, the first step, I think, is really to start playing around with some of the content that, that is available out there. So if you don't have a headset, um, I would suggest getting one, certainly for starters, so you can start uh, watching different things, getting a sense of what you like, what you don't like. Uh, if there are, you know, anyone, if anyone's out there that's really looking for advice on even a production group to, um, to experiment with, uh, I know that's going to cost some money, but for us, that's been the best way to learn. And, you know, PJ Tour, we have uh, an in-house video production arm of what we do. And part of the, the goal with our, our uh, work in VR was really to get them up to speed on how to shoot and how to edit for, for this medium. And by working with a, a host of different partners who have been fantastic, they've been able to start actually editing our own stuff. And we're looking at getting our own camera equipment now for this too. Um, so there's, you know, there can be a little bit of a learning curve, but um, if you have an interest to get in there and, and, and check it out, you, I think just dive in and, um, 
it, it can be costly in the beginning. I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie about that. But um, the the payoff long term uh, to us is is pretty important because to be in a space where you can innovate first and get a sense of what works and what doesn't work for for your particular sport or brand is uh, critically important. Well, and I think probably chances are if you're at a football school and specifically in college, you might have some VR equipment laying around anyway because as we saw at South by Southwest, a lot of football teams are using this to train players now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fascinating. And actually the company that has been driving that forward, uh, Striver, we've just started working with them as well. And uh, they've been working with us on some productions during a PGA Tour Champions event recently where we filmed one of my favorite players, Miguel Angel Jimenez, doing his warm-up routine yeah. <laughs> um, and then they were out with us last week during players championship and they're they're a great group of guys so um they're they're really doing some good stuff that's awesome well the pga tour uh and the game of golf honestly in general seems to have in my opinion this unique relationship in comparison to other leagues with its sports specific products and consumer brands and we often uh, you actually, you're, you're, the tour actually posts about new innovations in golf clubs or merchandise on the site. And I don't really see this happening in other leagues. Since the sport is geared towards more individual athletes where they are sort of free to acquire their own sponsors themselves instead of big team contracts with brands. Does this allow you guys to do a little bit of that? Um, instead of say, like the UFC, it's an individual sport, but they just signed a big... Uh, deal with Reebok. So you have their Nike athletes, which are sort of frustrated because they can't go in ring with Nike gear. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. You know, for us, um, that that's a huge part of, of golf. And, and for those that play too, you know, it, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier around um, the types of brands that you want to kind of associate with with yourself and, and put out there. It's it's a core part of the golf game. And that's not always true for other sports, um, you know, or sports that you might not really have a chance to play. Like I'm a huge hockey fan, but have I ever played hockey? No, <laughs> you know? All right. Um, well, there's a lot of people that are, unif- you know, uniform uh, enthusiasts in yeah. like say NFL, but these, you know, 37-year-old Johnny is not rocking <laughs> legit uniform pants and, and the full right. get-up, right? It, exactly. But people, you know, they'll see what uh, Jordan's wearing or, you know, even a guy like Ricky Fowler where we see kids that will come out to our tournaments and they're dressed exactly like Ricky, which is absolutely adorable. But it also <laughs> does, it speaks to this broader idea that fans do have that uh, chance to play the exact same clubs uh, as their favorite player or to wear the same shoes, clothes, whatever it might be. And there are a lot of uh, interesting technology advances in that space. And and we do cover that on um, pjtour.com and uh, certainly through other platforms as well. We've got a great uh, equipment insider in Jonathan Wall. He's he's uh, our, our guy that focuses on that. And uh, if you follow him on Twitter, he's always, you know, sharing the latest and greatest stuff there too. Um, and then we've got a style insider too, because there is that aspect of you know, how you want to look when you're out on the golf course or keeping up with some of the trends, which uh, every player sort of embraces in their their own unique way, especially if we're talking about Ricky or even uh, Rory last week during during players. Yeah, yeah. I think Ricky really came in and sort of shook up the whole thing when he started coming in with sort of like the flat bill hats and the crazy colors and all that. And then uh, probably Tiger really started this whole thing back when he yeah. sort of struck a deal with Nike and always wore his Sunday red and black. 
and, Absolutely. and that type of thing. No, it's classic. Um, well, you know, one thing too, I've seen a lot of lifestyle brands popping up for the golf industry, which is kind of interesting. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Seeing a lot of that and the popularity of brands like uh, Top Golf emerging too, I think that's all so important to the um, the broader growth of the game and also really reaching a broader audience. And uh, the tour, uh, we just announced a, a partnership with Top Golf last week, in fact, and I'm really excited about that. I think that's uh, a brand that represents so much innovation around the future of where the game could be headed. Absolutely. And, you know, I think uh, you guys on that particular uh, partnership, strategic partnership, you partnered up with the LPGA and, and Top Golf, and uh, to sort of enhance the, the golf experience and, and grow the game. Uh, you know, the interesting thing about Top Golf, and I'll just explain it real quickly for listeners that don't know, it's, it's essentially, they've essentially rebranded the entryway into golf, which I think is interesting because most of us sort of grow up and you kind of maybe go with your dad or your grandfather or your mom or whoever, one of your family members that likes the game. But this is, you know, kind of giving it to uh, letting millennials or people that are more focused on the inter- entertainment aspect of sport to go in. And essentially it's a, a, a driving range almost in a structure that allows you to have friends with food and drink and watch sports on TVs while striking balls. Um, <laughs> Are, I'm curious, do you know anything? I mean, because one thing about that I find interesting about it is golf, there are a lot of purists in the game of golf too. So when something like that comes in and now you guys striking up a partnership with them, I think it's a smart move, honestly, f- from from my end in terms of thinking about innovation and where the game's going. But I'm sure there's got to be some people that are thinking like, I'm afraid this is going to completely change the game <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because of, of that type of what they do. <laughs> no, I think that, you know, there certainly are purists out there that, that I'm sure have that concern. Um, but, you know, I think from a brand perspective, the golf purists, they're not going to leave us. They're not going to, you know, stop watching their favorite tour player, right. you know, week to week. And we've got to really think about how we get more people around the table. And, for me, um, you know, I'm not an insider to the world of golf. You know, we went through my resume at the start of the show. And when I see a brand like Top Golf, it gets at a really key idea for me, which is the idea that this should be fun. You know, when I talk to most people about why they play or why they get out, you know, on a weekend with their friends, it's because it's fun. It's not because it's so serious. And I think as an industry, we've got to open up to the idea of lightening up a little bit around right, around right. golf and you know the the tour um, and, and one of the projects I'm working closely on right now uh, is is a new brand that we launched called scratch TV and it gets a little bit into competition but it it really gets into lifestyle and the fun of the game and when we've gone through our brand strategy and, and content um, planning exercises that's always our litmus test is like is this idea that that you just pitched is it fun? Does it you know look at golf in a more lighthearted way? And if the answer is yes to those questions, then it's probably something really cool for for Scratch TV to play with. And um, that that's an area where we're starting to see some some great inroads and tremendous success with with content. That's awesome. Well, I think a lot of people probably don't know that golf itself is essentially responsible for sports marketing. I mean, uh, Arnold Palmer was was one of the first people to sort of approach this as its own niche, 
And mm-hmm. for the founding of IMG, even people don't even know that Arnold Palmer was one of the co-founders of IMG, which is which is pretty crazy seeing how where they are now. Um, so back on episode thirty-three, I had Tim Oliver, who is a longtime art director of Golf Digest, which is a beautiful publication, and mm-hmm. we discussed. Uh, we also kind of touched on Top Golf and how the game is changing over the years, and how people. Uh, Newer people are trying to be recruited as far as enthusiasts for the game. But one one other interesting thing was uh, the fitness and athlete perspective. I mean, we see many, we see a lot of female golfers now that are modeling in their spare time. Mm-hmm. Uh, ma- males like Rory McIlroy gracing the cover of Men's Health. Uh, in other words, the sort of out of shape golfer image is no longer prevalent in the professional <laughs> game. <laughs> and yeah. likely, you know, Tiger probably spearheaded that too. I mean, he, I remember, you know, he, when he started, uh, you know, focusing on weightlifting and things like that, it really sort of, uh, people saw what it did to his game. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm curious, what is the PGA Tour? Do you guys have any initiative to kind of promote health and fitness from a marketing perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think from just an overall brand and kind of brand values perspective, uh, health and wellness is so important to what we do. And, you know, even just it's kind of baked into our DNA. If you happen to be an employee at the tour, if you're ever out visiting uh, one of our offices, I think you'll get that sense. You know, we've got at our headquarters in Ponte Vedra Beach, uh, we have an employee gym with Pilates classes and we have a, a tour cafe with healthy food that is absolutely amazing. And and those are some newer initiatives um, that you know are probably things that most people would never see, but I think it speaks at, at kind of a key value of, of what we do. And you look at guys, you know, like Gary Player. I mean, even now, you know, you look at him now, and he's in tremendous shape. And um, I think that's that's certainly a key part of what's out there. And uh, week to week on the tour, there are fitness trailers where um, the guys, you know, might be seen, um, you know, warming up and 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 prepping. And that's uh, it's definitely um, it, it's a key aspect of the sport and and where it's heading. Yeah, and I think uh, another example is uh, Phil Mickelson, who, who, who interestingly enough has some stories about him now, which we won't get into floating around. But <laughs> he, uh, there was a there was a, an era of Phil where he was sort of uh, heavier, and then you know seeing what was happening to Tiger, and when he was sort of competing against Tiger, he came back. I remember he came back one year, and it was like he had lost all this weight, and he's really kind of kept it off and. And, and kept playing. So it's definitely yeah. an interesting aspect. Or Jason uh, Duffner, you know, he came back, yeah. um, you know, looking like this this new, newly made man and, and started, um, you know, he won earlier this year. And um, he's, he's someone I, I always enjoy watching, uh, both on the course and on Twitter for that matter. So it's yeah. exciting. It's exciting to see that. <laughs> well, I wonder happening. how much of that had to do with his, uh, his personal life and, <laughs> yeah, you know, you know I mean, so that type of thing. That, that's, you know, I think probably anybody could relate to to something like that. That's often a moment where you're kind of doing a bit of soul searching and figuring out the the right next step. But you know, good for him right. for um, for getting out there and and getting healthy and and winning. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and honestly, one of my favorite things about the sport is that there is this uh, when you watch it on TV, there or if you're there, there is this. Um, I don't know what it is. There's this environment of people want people to succeed. They don't like to see people fail. 
right? And mm-hmm. so people feel extremely bad for Jordan Spieth when he sort of falls apart at the Masters. But then you've, you're still ex- extremely excited for Willett, right? So they're cheering equally as hard for both of these guys. And that to me is unique in any sport. There's really not like, um, I guess, you know, I, I can't really point to a specific villain per se, <laughs> right? Yeah, Where people that's... just absolutely don't want them to win. No, it's true. I th- I, we've got, uh, I think, such a great uh, crop of guys out there right now that, you know, are they all have their unique personalities and, and different aspects of who they are, but there's something that's interesting or re- relatable about each of them. And, you know, uh, definitely when you see somebody falter on the course, if you're someone that actually plays the game, I think that's even relatable because you're like, oh my God, you know, I've, I've been there before. Um, and, and you get that and you know what that must feel like. But, uh, some of the other guys, you see how mental it is. I mean, it's, it's absolutely clear that these people have the skill to hit every single one of these shots perfectly, but they just fall apart and it's totally mental. And there's also this aspect, which you know we, we see as we're looking at some of the global uh, markets where we're popular or growing in popularity, where there's some patriotism that, that plays a role as well. Like Jason Day uh, winning last week is, is key, uh, certainly everywhere, but in Australia a ton. Um, and as the Olympics come, come up this summer, that aspect, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because golf is back in the Olympics after a, a really long hiatus. Yeah, and one of my favorite events is the Ryder Cup, which sort of really pits us against uh, uh, the U.S. against other yeah. countries in terms of, and now it's an actual team thing. I, I remember <laughs> the Ryder Cup in Kentucky was was just seemed like a pivotal moment where you had these sort of just down home guys like Boo Weekly. <laughs> you know, ri- I remember him just like riding his golf uh, <laughs> his stick like, you know, his uh, his club down the down the fairway. Right, right. Like it was a horse or something. So, well, um in in wrapping up, uh, I know you're in a very busy season and and you're getting ready to even hit the road on some more travel. Uh, I'm curious, what is there anything out there that other than VR that maybe we uh, that's that's new or or something you've read about that in the future of digital media that you're excited to try to integrate uh, experimentationally into the PGA Tour. Anything we should be watching out for? Yeah, uh, I mean, so many things, but uh, one that's certainly top of mind is PGA Tour Live. So we last uh, summer. Uh, in partnership with the guys at uh, MLB Advanced Media, launched our our very first uh, over-the-top product. And it's um, it's interesting in a few ways and innovative in a few ways. One is uh, if you think about Thursday, Friday golf, and this is really where PJ Tour Live comes in with its sweet spot, is the broadcast typically starts at some point in the afternoon. And the way that the competition rules are set up is we have our, our pairings that are released earlier in the week. So if you know if I'm Phil Mickelson and I'm uh, paired with Keegan Bradley, I'm just making this up. Uh, mm-hmm. On Thursday morning, um, we have an 8 a.m. tea time. On Friday, my pairing is going to be in the afternoon. So uh, obviously, those are interesting guys that TV cameras would love to get a shot of, but you're not going to see that on Thursday morning. You're only going to see it on Friday. So PGA Tour Live uh, comes in and we follow uh, two feature groups uh, Thursday, Friday before TV window starts. So you're able to see some of the most compelling groups uh, that you wouldn't otherwise get to see. 
and that's available as a subscription product on um, you know your favorite mobile phone, Apple TV, whatever uh, website as well. And that is, I think, a real game changer for us in a couple ways. Uh, one is simply opening up uh, the ability to view this stuff that was otherwise unseen. Um, but the other is, you know, we're handling the production. So um, our, I mentioned our, our video production arm, PJ2 Enter- Entertainment, earlier. They're out actually doing these um, uh, follow groups and broadcast week to week. And so that's a place where we can experiment and try some new things. Uh, and, and we've been starting to do some unique stuff there. And we've got a, a partnership with GoPro. So uh, back at the Waste Management Phoenix Open, we actually did a special PGA Tour live broadcast during the Pro-Am and had you know guys out wearing the, uh, the chesty cam. So you've got kind of the GoPro that's attached to them. And you're seeing kind of what they're seeing out there on the 16th hole at Waste, which is just absolutely bananas. And uh, that's, I think, a, a real place for us to, to innovate. And as we learn cool stuff, there might be opportunity for us to work with our broadcast partners and integrate that into the more um, you know, mainstream broadcast. Um, well, great. Sloan, I really appreciate you taking the time to come aboard. I know it's a very busy season and, uh, and I'm excited to get this out to people and, uh, since it is the season and maybe encourage them if they don't watch golf to watch golf. And I, I do have to add one, one aside real quick, being a, a sneaker enthusiast that Keegan Bradley is sponsored by brand Jordan. So you'll see Keegan Bradley all the time wearing, wearing, wearing Jordan shoes, which is I think interesting to the game. Um, well, real quick, where can listeners uh, follow you online personally, and then also the PGA tour and keep up to date with things that are happening? Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, at Sloan Kelly on uh, most of the different social platforms out there. I would love to, to hear from you guys. If you have ideas or questions about golf uh, or just digital in general, definitely connect and, and let's talk. Uh, if you're interested in following the PGA Tour and, and some of the cool stuff that we're up to, we are at pgatour.com and then at PGA Tour on uh, Facebook, Twitter, etc. Um, and on Snapchat, we're PGA Tour Snaps. Awesome. Thanks again, Sloan. Thank you so much. There you have it, folks. Sloan Kelly, big thanks again to her for taking time to Come aboard the podcast. It's a very busy season for her. She's traveling a lot as we're obviously in the middle of golf season. Again, as she mentioned, be sure to follow her on Twitter at Sloan Kelly. There'll be a link in the show notes, but that is S-L-O-A-N-E-K-E-L-L-E-Y. My next guest is going to be Dylan Boyd. Dylan is the managing director of the Dodgers Accelerator, which is an early stage startup accelerator in partnership with digital agency RGA and the Los Angeles Dodgers geared towards companies innovating the sports industry. Prior to his time at RGA, Dylan actually ran the Nike Plus Accelerator in Portland, Oregon, where he continues to live today. The Dodgers Accelerator is in its second year and is currently accepting applications through June 10th if you happen to have a product or idea that you have prototyped and fits their requirements. To learn more, head over to dodgersaccelerator.com and follow Dylan on Twitter at DT Boyd. If you're interested in hearing more episodes like this one, then head over to makersofsport.com slash episodes to check out previous interviews or listen to the original halftime episodes where I discuss things like business, entrepreneurship, and freelance in the sports industry. As mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, all future halftime episodes will be available to community members only. 
But if you want to support the podcast and keep it advertising free, as we don't uh, take sponsors here, it's 100% listener supported, then you can join the community at makersofsport.com slash community. Our last Q&A was this past Friday with, with episode two guest, Joe Bosak, who is one of the veterans in sports branding. It was a great time as Joe revealed a lot about his process, some of the ups and downs of business and dealing with clients and more. The next Q&A will be with episode 27 guest and good friend, Bethany Heck uh, of EFIS League. She's a a designer at Microsoft and her side project is the EFIS League. You can go back to episode 27 to hear more about that. She has a great talk on typography that she recently did at Creative South and also published a Medium article about it if you want to check that out. Uh, If you don't join the community prior to then, don't worry as each Q&A is recorded and available in the community Slack chat. So anytime you join, you can have access to Q&As from the past. Again, I want to reiterate the podcast is listener supported. If you get value from the content coming from this podcast and its outlets in social media, email newsletters, or other areas, then please consider supporting the show. I ask that you vote with your hard-earned dollars to support the show by joining the community. And in exchange, you'll get access to premium content at the cost of roughly five coffees per month. So give up one coffee per week, basically. For those that can't afford it at this very moment, or just for casual listeners, have no fear, the interview shows will be free forever. If you do miss halftime and you can't sign up for the community at this time, you can sign up for Weekend Reads, which is a weekly newsletter where I write exclusive content and share things that I'm reading, links I find interesting, or just generally inspiring things for the week. In addition, on that list, you will be notified in advance of upcoming guests and get podcast show notes delivered to your inbox. Makersofsport.com slash email is where you can sign up for that to stay in touch with the happenings of the podcast and its future. Lastly, please take one to two minutes and head over to makersofsport.com slash iTunes and hit the five star and write about your experience with the show. If you've gotten value for myself or any of the guests on the show, including Sloan today, then please, please share the podcast and rate the content so that others can discover that value for themselves as well. We're all working hard to build this niche of business and design and creativity together. And this is one way that we can do that by promoting these talented people such as Sloan and and all of the guests that have come aboard this podcast and and showing people that there is an actual best practices and a, a professional level of this work. As always, I'll accept likes or ratings on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast application you happen to love. I'm at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. The show is at Makers of Sport. Until next time, have a good week. <laughs>